the, the importance of making that choice. What basically do I want? Do I want to suffer or do I want to know myself as freedom? Because there is a state free from suffering. There is a profound state in which love is felt in every single moment. It's not the love between one or two or three, but it's the love that is oneness that allows us to recognize that love is the same in every single being. It's not the pain that motivates me. It's the love and the freedom that motivates me each day to make that choice for love, for freedom, and to be able to, you know, to share that with others. What greater gift is there to speak from that place of love, to see someone who is suffering and saying, I know where you've been and I know what works. And if you want, I can show you what has worked for me. I'm not here to teach you unless you want something to be taught. I'm here to show you what has worked and offer my journey and and guidance. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with sadhaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to another episode of A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm super excited for this week's guest, Noah Heaney. Noah is a yogi and teacher who has a lifelong devotion to unfolding the vision of oneness. For the last 17 years, he has immersed himself in an intensive mastership program at the International Meditation Institute in Northern India. 12 of those years were spent under the direct guidance of his realized guru, Swami Sham, who awakened him to the essence of yoga. As a result, Noah brings a depth of knowledge and subtlety to the practice of meditation and has refined insight into the art of breath. He also uniquely distills and illuminates the essential meaning of some of India's timeless scriptures, such as the Bhagavad Gita and the Patanjali Yoga Sutras for our modern day age. For many years, he has been teaching yogis and seekers from around the world what he loves and knows to be the most simple, effective means of transforming one's life so that it can shine with abundance, peace, inspiration, and freedom. Wow, amazing. So with that (laughs) wonderful intro, welcome, Noah, to the show. Thank you very much, my friend, for having me. It's an honor to be here. It is my honor. I'm just really delighted you're here. I'm excited because not only is your story just fascinating and inspiring, but I'm also excited because it's one that really resonates with me. When I heard your story before, I just so felt connected to the whole uh, disillusionment that you felt being in the world as in your 20s, which is how I came to this path as well. So um, I won't say too much, but I'll let you start off by um, why don't you just express what life was like before you came onto the spiritual path and how did your transformation begin? How did you end up here? And what was that Great like? Question. Great question. 
So, you know, my, my beginnings began in, in Montreal, where I grew up in a, in a loving household with, you know, wonderful siblings, and I had many friends, and for all intents and purposes, it was a, a fantastic environment. You know, I didn't have to worry about stepping out the door and fearing for my life. It was a, it was a beautiful place to grow up. But what I noticed, despite my surroundings, despite the love that surrounded me, I felt at a very early age, something was amiss. You know, I always felt being in the world, I felt like a stranger in a strange land, and I didn't know why. And I didn't know how to express it to those around me. But as I grew older, it became much more acute. And the sense that I don't want to be in this world. And yet had someone asked me why that is, I didn't have the, the vocabulary the depth of, of awareness to describe, well, if I don't want to be here in this world, then where do I want to be? And so as that became much more acute, that sense of disconnection and fear, what ended up happening is I started to have thoughts of suicide at a very, very early age, around nine and 10. And unsurprisingly, my parents became very, very concerned and sent me to a series of psychologists and and, and psychiatrists and therapists all alike, and they provided as much as they could, but nothing in any way that they provided could make me feel safe to explore and get to the heart of why I was feeling this way. And so when I began to enter into my teens, where naturally more responsibility was brought to me as part of you know, growing up as a, as a human being, this feeling of disconnection became that much more much more intense. And so I came by way of, of drugs and alcohol. And at first it was wonderful because they provided an escape from the sense of disconnection and fear and, and general sense of, of, of confusion. And so what they did was they empowered me in such a way that I felt like I could be in this world. And so what began as experimentation became habit. Habit became compulsion compulsion became addiction, and then my life began to spiral out of control, which is the nature of it. So initially, what was uh, an opportunity would help to pacify the fear and, and confusion. A few years later, it began just to intensify that more and more. And so this would go on for many, many years. And because I wasn't finding, you know, the, the, the right food, the right essence, the right company. And so there came a point where I left Montreal and I went to try to pursue a career in acting in Toronto and then that didn't work out. And so then I, I left to go to Vancouver to try to pursue an acting career and wherever I went, even though I geographically changed that sense of fear always followed with me, that sense of disconnection and what is this world and why do I not want to be here? But, you know, speeding up the story somewhat, so we don't spend too much time on, on the pain and suffering. But there was one defining moment that actually brought me very intensely and profoundly into the path of yoga. And it was one night after a two-day binge and I was lying on the floor in a fetal position and my body was shaking because of all of the poisons I put into it. And I was in utter despair and hopelessness. And as I lay there on the floor, the light of grace in the form of a powerful ultimatum kind of illumined the darkness of the space that I was inhabiting. 
And there came a voice that sounded like my own, but wasn't. And the voice said, choose. Choose life and freedom or choose destruction and death. And by whatever grace that granted me that power, in that defining moment, I chose life. And I chose that it was important to begin to embrace this life we've been given. Life is a gift to be cherished, to be nurtured, and to recognize the the blessing that it is. And so at that point, my brother had suggested, my older brother who was living in Vancouver, had suggested I, I start doing yoga. And so I did my first yoga class. And the very first time I did it, Afterwards, I'd never felt this experience before. There was a lightness of being. There was a settledness. My mind was calm, yet there was a, yet there was a, a calm dynamism. And I, start, I suddenly felt like this is what I want to do. And so I started to, to do more and more yoga. But because I had practiced so frequently for so long, so many years, the sense of, of self-medication, there was this internal battle going on between going towards yoga and taking yoga classes and this path of bringing me back into self-medication. And so there was this inner battle that would go on between light and dark, you know, an ancient tale. And so sometimes the light would be victorious and other times the darkness would be victorious, but eventually the light won out. And I decided that um, I wanted to immerse myself fully into the yogic world. And I started to take teacher training programs. And I was so blessed to meet a series of, of wonderful teachers that kind of helped to guide me through that whole process. And as I did more and more teacher trainings exploring, I, like I studied with the Shivananda Center, I went down to Lanksville, Massachusetts, where I studied the Kripalu, where I studied integrative yoga therapy, which is wonderful, studied forms of dynamic yoga. And what became so apparent, what was beautiful through this was the opportunity to serve. I had spent such so much of my life about self-obsessed and quite selfish and just taking. And what yoga started to awaken in me was an opportunity to be generous. Again, part of that embracing life and to be able to help others as it had helped me. And so, but there came a point where even the teaching after I'd done many, many years came a point of, of disillusionment. And that disillusionment, like I know that there are others who you've interviewed, and this is a word that isn't generally not part of our, you know, our, our normal everyday parlance, but it's like the, the gift of disillusionment or the grace of dis- disillusionment. And so disillusionment comes when there's something that we have had faith and trust in, and that foundation gets shaken, and it can be very painful when that foundation that one is invested in, especially if it's a relationship or something that's meaningful, gets upended. But in that disillusionment comes the opportunity to begin to inquire, to become curious, to become, to begin to investigate and start to question, what is it that I really want? Rather than focusing on the pain of what has been lost, now is an opportunity to begin to seek and to start to dig deeper as to what I want, where does that lie? And so disillusionment becomes part of the, the kind of impetus, the, the motivation towards seeking something deeper. 
And so that, that disillusionment with teaching got me then to come to India and, and the incredible transformation, grace appearing as the avatar of my guru took place. Wow, I got goosebumps hearing your story, Noah, because I can so relate to the pain of being in the world and turning to the darkness almost as a way of pacifying the pain of being in the world and being one that who just inherently has that sense of seeking from a young age. And for me, I always felt like, oh, I'm so different. Like I'm wrong. Like I always felt like it didn't jive with the world because I mm-hmm. had the sense of wrong and, and turning towards things like drugs and alcohol helped me kind of uh, transcend from that space. I'm wondering, I also don't want to stay stick on the pain and suffering, but I think it's interesting because I know a lot of people now um, struggle with this sense of self-medicating and it doesn't necessarily even mean it's just drugs and alcohol with people can meditate with social or medicate they should meditate but they can medicate (laughs) themselves with things like social media or food or whatever it is like that just wants to fill that void and I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit more to coming out of that and like it sounds like you it was a transition like the yoga pulled you out but I also had that sense when I started coming to yoga like I still would fall back into that pit and I'm wondering if you can speak to any moments or any times or experiences where you were falling back in and and it was what was it that pulled you out like I know you spoke about the light but what was it that kept pulling you out that kept saving you from the suicide from the darkness like what is that inside the being yeah that's great so just to to touch upon a point you're making before you know how addiction can take different forms social social media whatever it may be because inherent in every single soul like the very first wound that we all carry is a sense of forgetfulness of our authentic self our true home And when we have that sense of forgetfulness, then we start to find, we try to find meaning in the things around us, trying to fill that hole, that sense of being incomplete or trying to find love or trying to find power, trying to find recognition. And where we start to seek it makes all the difference because no matter how much I try to find that fulfillment through social media and all the hits I get and all the likes I get or how much love I try to find in relationships or through drugs and alcohol, it never provides the fullness of love, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, the fullness of freedom that all of us are seeking, which is why the path of of the yogi requires a different direction, which is not easy to make, which is why disillusionment becomes sometimes the it was for me and for others I know, but not for everyone, becomes the way to turn the direction of one's life and start seeking, not so much in the world, but let me start seeking something deeper. As for me, just to bring up that other point you were making, you know, my slow transition towards where I am today went through many different battles. As I said, in those moments where I felt where the, where the dark was more powerful, what kept me rising up to not emphasize the pain was that defining moment of grace that question that I still ask myself today even though I'm free from drugs and alcohol 
But I choose, every morning we wake up with a choice. We can choose to suffer. We can choose to allow ourselves to be victimized, or we can start to choose freedom. Start to choose the company that I keep, the foods that I eat. So this is about empowering oneself. And ultimately, what I want to make very clear, that the problem is not the world. The problem is not the people in it. The issue at hand is the mind that I have identified myself with, the mind that has been shaped and my belief in whatever the mind says or feels. So it becomes not about blaming or condemning the world because the world is there, can be a great treasure and a great power for us to use when we know what the world is meant for, what our bodies and minds are meant for. What becomes important is how we go about doing that and the, the importance of making that choice. What basically do I want? Do I want to suffer or do I want to know myself as freedom? Because there is a state free from suffering. There is a profound state in which love is felt in every single moment. It's not the love between one or two or three, but it's the love that is oneness that allows us to recognize that love is the same in every single being. It's not the pain that motivates me. It's the love and the freedom that motivates me each day to make that choice for love, for freedom. And to be able to, you know, to share that with others, what greater gift is there to speak from that place of love, to see someone who is suffering and saying, I know where you've been and I know what works. And if you want, I can show you what has worked for me. I'm not here to teach you unless you want something to be taught. I'm here to show you what has worked and offer my journey and, and guidance. And so that becomes what keeps me always emphasizing the light, that enlightened state, and not to give too much importance to darkness. However, I will say this, it was the darkness that allowed me to recognize the light. Had I not been in that state of darkness, I wouldn't have recognized the light of grace coming in. And so now my life is much more enlightened. There are challenging times for sure that come up, but it's how we, how we interpret those challenges you know, one of the things that, um, that Swamiji, my guru, would say, treat it that every situation that comes before you is an ambassador of grace that brings you closer to the recognition of that. So rather than seeing it as, why am I going through this? Why am I being punished? Or whatever misinterpretation we have, to see whatever comes before me as an opportunity to make that choice for freedom. And if I find myself getting caught and enmeshed in it, to ask for help because this is also not, not just a personal journey. You know, no one can meditate for us or breathe for us, but to have good company makes all the difference. To find those beings who inspire you, who challenge you to help raise you is also an integral part of this. So it's not, you know, the wandering yogi traveling the, the paths alone, but finding community, a place you feel, you know, that you can be recognized and, we all stumble from time to time, but there are those who can help lift us up by reminding us who we are and gives us the freedom to speak and to support each other. And that, that becomes the, the inspiration and joy of, of living. Mm, that's what a beautiful expression. And speaking to um, when you expressed that coming to this, this yogic life and into the space of generosity where stopped becoming about you as the individual poor me poor Noah 
and um and and and, and you, you started moving into that space of generosity and then speaking to sharing and, and living this wisdom and this life that you can share with others and who was the example for that for you was when you went to India and you met your teacher you met Swamiji and can you speak to that experience of what was it like when you know not everyone gets the blessing in this life to meet a teacher a realized master or someone that they have that connection with so what was that like for you and 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 then what was the next steps perfect you know as i was saying before when i was teaching yoga for many years and felt great contentment and and, and doing that service i'd mentioned that i'd become disillusioned with with being a teacher because as as much as the physical was important and you know the physical movements and the breathing um there came a point where there was this, this inner churning, like I needed to find the roots of what actually yoga is. At one point, I felt like a glorified personal trainer. And so there, there came this momentum, like I've got to find what the essence of this, what, what yoga is and not just remain at the level of, of the physical, although that was very, very important during you know, much of my life. And so I began to seek around Toronto where I had moved back to and I met wonderful teachers, very, very knowledgeable, and, and other swamis in, in ashrams where I'd taken teacher trainings, and they were all brilliant, but they didn't speak from that place of, of the depth of what they were describing. And so there came this churning, and, and I, had, I think many of us look towards India as, as the kind of home of yoga and the home of knowledge. And there came a point where there was a a definite inspiration to go to India. And, um, and so I decided I'm going to put everything in storage and, and I'm just going to travel through India for a year. And I told my parents and they were a little bit concerned about it. But while I was letting, you know, putting my stuff in storage and many of the classes that I was taking, I was letting the owners of those studios, letting them know that I was going to be taking this kind of pilgrimage. One of the studios, um, there came a teacher who was going to be looking after my classes while I was gone and said, why are you going to India? And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going there to seek knowledge because that feels like that's the most important thing for me at this point. And this particular person, Yogi, who's a great and wonderful teacher in her own right, who teaches in Toronto named Hallie. And she said, well, I'm also going to be in India at the same time. So why don't you come up to Northern India where my mom has been there for 30, 40 years, and why don't you come meet my guru? And then you can go off to Dharamshala and study introduction to Buddhism, like you said you were going to, and go off to the other holy centers, Rishikesh and the other great centers, Varanasi. And so I said, wonderful. And so I flew to India and had a kind of baptism by fire when I landed in <laughs> Delhi. You can do all the preparation you can while going to India. But India is a completely different planet. It is so dynamic and it's a beautiful place, but it can be a bit intense coming from Canada. But there came a point where I, I left my, my landing in, in Delhi and I flew up to northern India. And I remember as I was taking the plane and flying through these beautiful, majestic mountains as we were coming into the valley known as the Valley of Gods and flying between these peaks and coming down to land, I just felt inside that something monumental was going to shift. And I was picked up by my friend Hallie and her mother and they greeted me warmly. 
And the next day I went to satsang, something I'd never never been before. And satsang is the company of truth. Those that gather to hear and speak of that truth that is pure, free forever. And I remember Swamiji came out and sat down and he started to speak. And he said, you are pure, free forever. You are immortal. You are blissful. And said this mantra, Amaram Ham Madaram Ham, which means immortal am I, blissful am I. And I remember when he spoke those words, the tears started streaming down my face because what he spoke was something I had wanted to hear all my life. That sense and that sense of feeling disconnected, the sense of what is my purpose here, he spoke those words. And in that, he provided the answer. He provided the truth. He provided, he provided that moment of, so, of such supreme grace. And I remember I said, I felt like I've come home. But I came home to the home I actually never left. And that was that sense of always feeling like a wanderer, a stranger in a strange land. When Guru spoke, because he didn't just speak words, where he spoke from, spoke to the same Guru consciousness in me. And all of that sense of pain and suffering, when, when Guru spoke, became, became, fell to the side, and I just knew that I'd found my Guru. I'd found my home. And I spent what initially had been my plan to travel through India to holy centers, one week became two weeks, two weeks became three, became months, and I ended up spending a year there. And I eventually wrote to Swamiji and said, Swamiji, you know, I had come to India to find freedom, but I found it in you. And he wrote a beautiful letter, very simply said, in freedom you can come and freedom you can go, but know that you are the free being. And so that moment was, although I'd had many years ago, as I described, that moment of fierce grace where that with that ultimatum to choose life or to choose death here was like, I felt like he was the one that kind of reached in in that moment. And my whole life had been just that point of bringing brought, being brought to meet the being who was my own self manifesting as guru to let me know you are that guru being, you are immortal and blissful. And that moment was not only did he change my life, but he completely redefined what I understood life to be, and most importantly, my whole understanding of who I was. And from then on, my life has been, as you stated in the beginning of my bio, has been utterly devoted, dedicated to, to realizing that. It's not to become free, not to become pure. It is to recognize that we are already that. Now, what is it that doesn't allow me to see that light or that is always shining? And then becomes the work, the yogi's path of purification, of refinement of this remarkable system. And Guru's hand was perfect in helping me to guide and revealed so much. And this amazing community of tremendous Mahatmas, great souls who had been with him for decades. So much support was here. It was like a, an environment, like you've got great environments dedicated to you know, to science and to medicine and to business, but this ashram is utterly dedicated to oneness and to the realization of that. 
Uh, once again, it, it just speaks also, you're speaking of guru as your own self manifesting in the form and, and hearing you express that. I can hear you expressing my own sense of meeting my own self and it's really profound and beautiful. Once you started coming onto this path of living the vision of oneness, what does that what does that look like? What does living the vision of oneness look like in practice? I know before you came to the ashram, you were the Hatha Yogi, which the Hatha Yogi, which is as we both know, so much in the form level. In the West, especially, yoga is so much on the form level, and probably many people listening only know that small, small aspect of Hatha Yoga. And when you came to the ashram and began meditating and began deepening these deeper, highly evolved practices of yoga, yoga mm -hmm. um, what, does it, what did that look like for you? And how have those practices evolved over the last 17 years? Great. So yes, certainly coming into this very rarefied atmosphere, um, what helps immensely, like the whole foundation that it was set through doing the physical practice was necessary because the purpose of Hatha Yoga is, is to ultimately to be able to sit in stillness. Yes, it, it opens up the channels of energy, which allows the life force to flow. But when I came here, what Swamiji introduced me to is, is the yoga of the mind. Like I had developed my practice a very flexible body but when i came here and was opened into the depth of the philosophy which is not just as not just a an intellectual philosophy but but a living philosophy i realized how much my mind needed to undergo a kind of yogic purification part of that was going to satsang every day which was to be able to sit with swamiji and it wasn't just listening like one of the amazing points and powers about this unique satsang, Swamiji would invite us up to ask questions. And so there would be an opportunity to state concerns or questions. And so that became an integral part of beginning to unfold that power of oneness or that vision of oneness. And so I often liken the, the satsangs because one is presented with some very profound and very deep and for the large part esoteric ideas as to who one is one has up to that point built a very clear understanding of who one is based upon the senses. I am my feelings. I am my memories. I am my experiences. But then you come before the realized one who's like the sun shining and completely upends your life and says, you know what? You are much more, you're not defined by, by your senses and your mind. What you are is immortal and blissful. You have no beginning, you have no end, yet you are the basis of all those things that begin and begin and, and, and end. And so what I found for me was initially, I found myself, though deeply inspired, it was also very challenging to, to suddenly be open to it because I hadn't developed the, refined the, the intellect to be able to really begin to grasp that. So every day I went to, to satsang and it was like yoga for the mind. Like the, 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 the depth of the knowledge that was being provided was like doing backward bends and twists and, and sun salutations for the mind, which then brought the space of meditation much, much clearer because ultimately it's not about understanding this philosophy, although, that, although that's where we begin. It's really about 
knowing, getting deeper than the words, deeper than just the, the philosophy of words and ideas. And it was actually in the space of meditation where we touch and realize that. So it was over the course of the 17 years where the capacity to begin to grasp what Guru was saying, the, the ability to move from understanding and into the direct experience. And so what's happened over the last 18 years has just been a further and further refinement, a cultivation of this human system that allows the grace of who we are to shine and a recognition of that that's free of understanding and misconception, which takes place and into the direct experience, which is there at the heart of every single being. But how does, and, and you spoke before that um, about the question one would ask themselves, like what, when you're choosing, when you're making that choice, like I can choose life or I can choose darkness. And when one wants to stand in that truth, when someone is living in the world, and I kind of going to play devil's advocate here because I, I you know, not everybody has the opportunity to come to India, even that, or meet a realized being. It's so rare is that one. So how is one to resource themselves in the world with, with so when the world is just only duality, it's only op- opposites. It's only saying you are that mind and senses that you worked so hard that you did your tapatya, you burned through it to get beyond that. And you <laughs> still are, we all are the yogis, you know, to remember, I am the lightness of being. I am that guru consciousness. How can one, how can one take that deep desire for freedom, choose freedom, but then resource themselves to live freedom? Great question. And this is a question I've been asked before, because as you said, not everyone has the, you know, the the blessed of opportunity to, to meet a guru, to find their guru. You know, that, that, that when you meet your guru, that, that, that is, that is an incredible boon to have that, that guidance. But in terms of, of your question, to be able to, to maintain that light in a world that says that you are not that, that you are just name and form. What I would say to, to such a sincere seeker is, again, to find company that helps you to reflect that. Picking up the scriptures, like one of the, the most important aspects of, of the scriptures is when one becomes disillusioned with the world, you pick up the scriptures and they carry the thought of oneness. So if, if the world is feeding me in a particular way, then I've got to change the food that I take into my senses. Studying the scriptures, something that, that is uplifting, that is going to, that's going to change the direction of you're just a form, you're just a name, you're just a gender. This is where freedom lies. So scriptural study becomes, one, becomes very important. Finding a teacher that inspires you finding friends that inspire you, something that's going to help bolster you, and most importantly, maintain the devotion to your practice, the physical practice, add meditation, because meditation brings you in to touch the truth of who you are and gives you the power to be able to navigate in the world. Without meditation, and this has been my experience, without meditation, then I will just, by habit, go with what the senses and what the world telling me. But when you sit to meditate and let meditation 
is not about controlling mind. Let the thoughts be. Meditation is just becoming aware of something that has been hiding in plain sight our whole life. And that's just to become aware of the watching power, the power of the knower. So in one's practice, whether one is doing yoga, be aware of the one who's knowing and find those moments where the pause, where the, there's a pause in your practice, where there's a pause when you're watching your breath. When there's a pause, it's like when we start to recognize the pause is our indication and our direct experience of who we are. And I found that that gives the momentum and the opportunity to acknowledge who I am and touching that space, even for a moment in that pause, when there's the stillness of breath, the stillness of movement, the stillness of thought, and to acknowledge that, not to brush it by as something that is nothing, when in that pause allows us to recognize who we are. And that becomes the way to, to flow through this life. So we've got meditation, you've got recognizing the pause that is there in your practice, good company, and scriptures. So that becomes a way that allows the yogi to flow through life, to keep remembering to have that yogic foundation that allows one to flow through life. There is a, um, a beautiful poem, um, an ancient Indian poem, and the first line is, Ramata Yogi Behatapani, which means the yogi flows like water. And so that water element has a sense of fluidity, has a sense water is powerful, water can adapt. And so when we touch that, that water space, that oceanic space that exists within each, each of us, that allows us to flow through life rather than finding the conflict. And so even when conflict presents itself, the foundation, my ability to, to flow through the conflict, to adapt to it, to find the solutions, comes through the daily practice of keep remembering who we are. Keep practicing. I am pure, free forever. I am immortal. I am blissful. Change the language we speak. Start to accentuate what we are. Don't depend on the world to reflect that. Be empowered to keep reminding yourself, I am pure, free forever. Yes, I have a body. Yes, I have a mind. Yes, I have the gift of this life. But I'm going to use it to, to, to allow myself to shine and to recognize my enlightened state while living in the world. Like coming to India and being in a sashram, some listeners might think, well, he's abandoned the world. Nothing could be further from the truth because it's not about abandonment of the world. It's about recognizing what the underlying reality to this dynamic world play that we live in. And what allows me to recognize that are those moments of quiet, those moments of pause, those moments of stillness that we can cultivate through the yoga practice, through the practice of meditation, through the practice of mantra repetition, through company. So it becomes a different food that I'm taking in. It becomes a food that is fulfilling, that, that instills a lightness, an enlightenment. And yes, there'll be challenges. Yes, there'll be times where you start to go, I've fallen off the path and I'm not a good yogi. Everyone has those moments, which is why it's important not to give too much credence to the mind. We have all of these habits we've picked up, habits of views of ourself and self-condemnation, but we don't have to give them the same importance. So really the yogic path is about building a new mind, an enlightened mind, 
an inspired mind and without forgoing the world, because it's important that we're not giving up the world, as I said before, but allowing us to flow like water through this world, powerfully, clearly, joyfully, and adapting. Such is the, the yogi consciousness. And so that becomes something that becomes important. So meditation, good company, scriptures, remember the pause, remember who you are. Keep repeating like the, like the most powerful mantra that Swamiji gave me and what I offer to those sincere seekers in yogas. Who in our life ever told us that you are pure free forever, that you are immortal and blissful? Start repeating that. It becomes a way to evoke from all of the coverings of names and forms. It begins to conjure and allows that, that power to rise and to recognize this is what I am. And the more that that begins to shine, then that becomes unshakable. That becomes unconquerable. And that becomes what you, not becomes, that is what you are. Hmm. So the yogic, <laughs> the yogic way or the, the vision, living the vision of oneness really is, it, it, it starts to trickle in the, not even trickle in the essence comes out from the being. It's not even a trickling in, it's a flowing out like you so beautifully expressed. And I can also speak to that, that I, I thought, oh, suddenly, like the way I eat, the way I live, the company I'm seeking, like I, I kind of when I started, it, it started, it kind of seemed strange, but actually, the way you express it seems it's so organic, actually, once you choose mm. that life, choose life, and you choose the vision of oneness, and to live that, and to be that it does just life supports life, and it starts to blossom out in this beautiful organic way and when you were speaking about the importance of scriptures I was wondering if you could speak to scripture that has helped you or that you've held steadfast to there's so many and maybe you could even speak to some of the main ones that you have used in your study because I know you are a master in the scriptures so can you speak <laughs> to that a little bit sure so one of the main points of of the, the ancient scriptures of India, they're all predicated, all based on one primary, primary truth, that human beings suffer, and we don't want to suffer as human beings. So the scriptures provide the answer to that. If I don't want to suffer, what is the cause of suffering? And the scriptures point out that the root of suffering is forgetfulness of our organic state, our truthful state, our enlightened state. So they provide, what's the solution to that? Well, that would be to realize yourself. If I'm in a state of forgetfulness, then how do I remember who I am? They also provide the means on how to do that. And so they define what the problem is, what the solution is, and how to bring about that solution. And for me, although my beginnings were, my first scripture that I picked up was the, the Sutras of Patanjali which were the perfect foundation. I find these days my heart is so much with the Bhagavad Gita. Although right now I am fluid with it. It's like certain scriptures speak to me at different times and how I read them becomes also very, very different. But right now I find that my heart lies with the Gita. And there was a, a particular verse that I was looking at last night. And the verse is, 
Nehabi Kamana Shosti Pratyavayo Nabitite Swalpalmapiyasya Dharmasya Trayate Mahato Bhayat, which means for the one who steps upon this path, this yogic path, there is no there is no contrary result. There is no wastage of effort. Why? Because even a little bit of this truth that I am immortal and blissful rescues one, saves one, protects one from the greatest fear, and that's the fear of death. What the scriptures are reflecting is that, dear one, you are immortal, you are blissful. You are not death. You will never die. And so what scriptures do, as I was saying before, they pick up for those wanting or become disillusioned. You pick up that scripture that resonates and speaks to you and, and begin to read it and to think about it and to study it. And most importantly, to meditate on it. And why I love the Gita so much, because the Bhagavad Gita translates to the song of the divine. And that song of the divine is always singing, but when I'm only listening to the world, then all I hear is what I'm supposed to be, what I think I am. But through the study of scriptures, again, it's like yoga for the mind. You begin to, you're introduced to very deep thoughts and very deep, deep ideas. But through continued study of them and finding good teachers that are able to decipher their essential meaning and to make them practical, that's the most important thing. These are not meant to be a good philosopher and to be able to quote scriptures. It's like, how do I live this philosophy, taking these teachings so that I can live my life, not just as a, a pundit or a, you know, a, a philosopher, but living the philosophy. And so I find for me, the Gita right now is what I sing. How I, I meditate on the Gita is every time I close the eyes, I recognize that that space is the Krishna space, that I'm not just Arjun who was on that battlefield struggling with his own mind, struggling with fear. I recognize and, and practice and always accentuate that I am that Krishna being that is forever pure and free, that I don't have to live my life in a battle, but I can live in the state of victory. And so the Gita speaks of that. Although there are 700 Verses, Swamiji, my guru, our guru, chose seven, and those seven speak directly that you, that you are immortal, you are blissful, you are indestructible, and describes as well that bodies come and go, as is their nature, but you are ever present, and so scriptures become a way of reminding yourself of who you are, and singing who you are. And that becomes an integral part of, of not just reading, but voicing it, speak it, sing it, shout it out loud if you need to. But the scriptures are, are, are a beautiful and integral way of just affirming the truth of, of who you are and have always been. And so the Gita is one, the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, which are a great yogi handbook on how to transform this system the eight limbs of yoga are a perfect way to follow. The yams and niyams, the observances and the restraints, the path of, of, of asana or yoga poses, the path of or the limb of, of pranayama and breath. And then there's the path or the limb of pratyahara when we draw our attention inward and move into 
developing concentration and meditation. And ultimately, there's the state of samadhi that permeates the whole tree. And so there is no, and most importantly, as was the case for me many, many years ago when I tried to pick them up, I didn't have the ability to decipher their meaning. So finding teachers that help, as I said before, inspire you, who begin to speak from that place, because where we speak from makes all the difference on how we speak and what we speak. There's a resonance for someone who has touched that source and is able to, to make the scriptures alive and personal and powerful and livable. I love that because, well, I love that verse that you read. And it's something that I love about the scriptures is somehow when you open it, the answer is there because the scriptures are coming from the Mm. answered state. And, and something that I get stuck on a lot is um, this idea of being a good yogi, what you spoke about before. And that verse that you read just totally dispelled that because there is no good yogi. Like the yogi is already oneness. The yogi is already pure and free and how beautiful the scriptures are uh, that they reflect that to us as the yogi who can sometimes feel bound and feel stuck like Arjun on the battlefield, just in the battlefield of the world, which is, it, it, it can make one paralyzed. Like I also have related to Arjun when he's, um, paralyzed almost by choice to act or not act and I think that that is relative it's an ancient scripture written you know so long ago but it's still totally relative to the human condition um, absolutely uh, which is pretty powerful uh, I really did love that and I also wanted to ask you about your teachings where what is next for you in the terms of living that generosity and and sharing the wisdom that you've mastered over all these years. Thank you very much. Uh, Right now, the inspiration is I'm building a a website called Breath of Sky. And and it's going to be an opportunity for those that want to come and and to be able to have the scriptures, as I just described, distilled. So it's going to be offering... Um, the practicality of, of the scriptures for our, for our modern day and age. I'll also be offering the bliss of meditation to recognize that inherent sense of bliss that lies at the heart of us all. I'm also going to be offering ways of working with breath called the art of breathing, which incorporates pranayama and qigong as a way to utilize this amazing life force, all of it in service to recognizing what we are already. There will be in the fall um, an offering that I'll be doing called Phoenix Rising Meditation, which will emphasize the transformative power that each of us that each of us has to rise from the ashes, to begin anew, and to fly in the in 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 the in the awareness of who we are. And so that'll be some things that I'll be offering, and that'll be coming in the fall once my website is up, which will be in the next few weeks. And that just becomes part of this ancient tradition. I mean, this yogic tradition of just offering knowledge. There is a, a saying that says, dia se dia jaltahe, which means one lamp lights another lamp lights another lamp. And so what we're simply doing with each other when we, we pass on this knowledge that's been going for thousands of years, we're kind of igniting the lamp of the hearts of those we come in contact with Although the, light, although the light is there in each and every one of us, 
Some of us, we, we meet people and they just inspire us and that light gets lit. And so that becomes part of the tradition. We keep lighting the lamps of whom, whoever we meet and they light the lamps of others. And so it just becomes a way of spreading this light of knowledge, this, this light of wisdom. And so it becomes an enlightened place, an enlightened life, an enlightened world. That's so beautiful because it's, it isn't something we can hang on and say, this is mine to keep. And it, it's, it actually flourishes more the more we share it, which is why we love yes. having conversations just like this, because we both leave yes. the conversation totally elevated because our awareness, our attention, our words are just keep tuning into that. And I'm really excited for the offerings. I definitely will be wanting to participate in the Phoenix meditation because I think, I think a lot of people could relate to that or have the sense of need or urgency for that because we feel, um, I'm just thinking now of the definition of Phoenix, but you know, Phoenix Mm -hmm. rising, like, and it kind of can reflect right back to that point of grace that you had where you chose life. Like, at that point, you know, we have this point where the, the being, the being, the body, the ideas of the world, the ideas of success can get burnt. And then what's left? Well, that's where kind of meditation can begin. So I think that's really beautiful. And mm. um, you express the websites coming soon. And, um, and I will put the link in the show notes. And in the meantime, if people want to reach you or get in touch and hear about your latest offerings and what's coming up how can they reach you they can reach me at uh, noah at breath of okay great i'll also put that in the show notes and then for the curious yogis out there do you have any final words of wisdom or takeaways that the listeners can take with them absolutely practice doesn't make perfect Practice is about recognizing the perfection that you are already. So that's something to remember. It's not about being perfect in, in, in the yoga poses, about how long one suspends one's breath, about how knowledgeable one may be when studying scriptures. All of it is in service to recognizing what we are already, which is perfection, which means that you are immortal, you are blissful, you are ever present. You are that awareness that permeates this entire world tree. You can love the diversity. You can love the world when you know that you are the essence that permeates it, like a tree that's permeated and all of its glory and differentiation from flowers to fruits to leaves to branches to, to the whole tree, but there's a sap that runs through it, and that's what you are. Let your practice be recognizing that you are that life, that love that permeates the entire universal tree. Find that in that in those quiet moments, in those truthful moments, and just see how beautiful and grand you are. And I've always been, and will always will be. Totally delightful. What amazing, <laughs> what amazing last words to leave myself with. I know I'm gonna take those words with me as well, Noah. So thank you. I I also You're love your welcome. And I just really want to thank you for your time, for your love, for your energy, your wisdom. It's been so amazing and uplifting talking with you today. Thank you so much for this opportunity, my friend. It's been a real joy and honor. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Curious Yogi Podcast. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social, and of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love, and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.